One guest, 10 songs, 10 reasons. Music was my first love on Radio Glamorgan. My guest today joining us from his home is a big name in radio, Johnny Beeling, who was controller of Radio 1 from 1985 to 1993. We'll hear from Johnny and talk about his time with Radio 1 and more besides after his first choice, which is from Paul Simon. Joseph's face was black as Johnny Beely, welcome to Radio Glamorgan and Music was my first love. How do we find you? Well, I hope. Wonderful to be here, Andrew. It's a pleasure to have you, it really is. Tell me about your first choice under African Skies. That record, Graceland, I have a framed gold copy of that in my office here to celebrate uh, 300,000 sales in the UK. Alone. And I think it is, of all the albums I've come across in my whole career in radio, that's probably my all-time favourite. I just love that medley of the african music with the western music i yeah. thought it was a touch of genius and although i've always been a fan of paul simon i think that's his very best album and i just love that and i i love south africa i've been down there a few times working on the cruise ships and i, I just love the whole place i know that your first soiree for want of a better word into radio was uh, in 1955 during your national service but is that where the interest started or was it before then earlier than that uh, it goes back to one of my other choices in this program which is uh, the ted heath band many years ago when i was a teenager doing my o levels i used to skive off on a saturday night and we would go to the coronation ballroom at ramsgate long been pulled down now and I used to watch the Ted Heath band with his three singers, Lita Rosa, Dennis Lotus, and uh, Dickie Valentine. And I just loved that sound of big bands. And it was really big bands that got me into the into the music business, I suppose. I, I just always loved the sound of those four trumpets and four trombones. And the, the, the whole thing just blows me away. And even now I do talks on ships. I do one about the, the Ted Heath band. So perhaps we could make that uh, my second record, which is um, one called Johnny One Note. I mean, there are so many there that, uh, I mean, the band went on and on. But back in 1962, they did a thing called Big Band Percussion, where Ted was a huge fan of uh, Decca Phase 4 Stereo, you know, and to demonstrate it, they, they did a whole album. On there was one called Johnny One Note. So I, I used to record the band regularly for Music to Midnight back in the old light programme days. Yeah. And uh, Ted's son, Tim Heath, used to come along to the recording sessions. Well, later, of course, Ted had a stroke and died. And uh, I still kept friendly with Tim, his son, and one of his two sons, Nick's the other one. And um, he eventually married one of the Radio 1 secretaries. And sure enough, when I got this call to do a, a big band cruise lecture, I said to Tim, would you take part in it with me and tell me more about life with your dad and the band and what have you. And he was very kind. He took out all his dad's memorabilia and pictures and the dad's trombone and everything and we chatted away for an hour or more and i made it into a, a very good talk a very interesting talk do and i'm you, hoping to do it before too long do you, you when you started out you, you did um a bit of broadcasting yourself do, do you miss that or was it always the, the management side that you wanted to be part of well, it's the creative side of it, I think. Yeah. I mean, I tend to write my lectures rather like radio talks, and uh, I have lots of audio illustrations in them and, and pictorial illustrations as well. And, um, yeah, I, I, I just I love performing, I suppose. There's an element of the show up in, yeah. in all of well, I, I, you, you said I started in the Air Force. I, I was responsible for the technical equipment in, in the radio station in Aden. 
And uh, the boss said, well, then you slag about it is you have to do the early morning broadcast from six to eight. <laughs> Go to music to get the troops awake. Yeah, <laughs> and, was, and I fancied myself as a budding David Jacobs or Pete Murray. I suppose <laughs> those were the role models back in those days, back in nineteen fifty-five, fifty-six. And well, so that's how it all started. We'll play your next choice. Uh, we'll play Johnny One Note. Did you know that the opening bars of this we used for John Craven's news round? No, I didn't. Yeah, well, you have a listen. This is Johnny Beeling's second choice, Ted Heath, and Johnny One Note. <laughs> That could have been one of those 1960s TV themes for a sitcom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> didn't, um, didn't his children, was it his children that formed the Corgis, am I right? It was, I think. They were certainly involved with them. I'm not sure they formed it, but I think uh, Tim, I think, managed the band or something. Right. They, should, they had their own record label, yeah. Let's go straight into uh, the next choice. Tell me about, this is a beautiful song, Jim Crochet and Time in a Bottle. Oh, well, there's an interesting story about that because my present wife and I met up towards the end of the last millennium before the changeover. We got married in the year 2000 and this was one of our favourite songs and we went along to a bar in Florida because she had a house down there and there was this guy, it wasn't Jim Croce because he died by then, but there was another guy who was doing Time in a Bottle. So it's sort of our song, I suppose, as you get older, you get more sentimental. Oh. And country music is another thing I love almost as much as I love big band music. Yeah. So I love Jim Croce. He made wrote some great songs, and he died all too soon. Very, as they say, only the, the, the best die young, don't they? If I could save time in a bottle The first thing that I'd like to do but Now, with the clock ticking slowly up to 7am, it's going to be time to welcome Radio 1's first daily show on 247 metres medium wave, whilst Breakfast Special continues on Radio 2. Ten seconds to go before Radio 1, Tony Blackburn, and Radio 2, Paul Hollingdale, stand by for switching, get tuned to Radio 1 or 2, 5, 4, 3, Radio 2, Radio 1, go! The voice of Radio 1 Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the exciting new sound of Radio One. Now, I had to play that. I Takes me back 52 uh, years. <laughs> well, I didn't know until recently that you were producer of that show. So, what I want to know was the days and hours leading up to that. Was it excitement? Was it anxiety? Was it trepidation? Was it all the above? Well, it was excitement because it's not often you get to launch a new national radio network, is it? And no. Uh, we'd been practicing. Tony had come ashore from the Paris earlier and been broadcasting on midday spin on the old light programme. And then the government closed down the pirates anyway with the Marine Offences Act. So the BBC sort of reorganised its national networks, the home light on the third, as it was then, into radios one, two, three and four, and eventually Radio 5 and a chain of English local radio stations. So I was chosen to be the first producer because I'd been producing a sort of fairly sharp pop programme called Where It's At on the old light programme. And that transferred across to Radio 1, actually. And so they said, would you like to work with Tony and see if you can make a go of the breakfast show? So that was, that was how it all started. 
Your next choice on this edition of Music Was My First Love is, well, I remember them performing this on Top of the Pops, Linda Ronstadt and Aaron Neville with Don't Know Much. What a what a great song and a great version. I know, marvellous, all these, these records. I mean, Jim Croce in 1972, as you get older, of course, the lyrics have more meaning. Yeah. I'm in a box. And I suppose the same thing about this this one with Linda. I mean, she's such a wonderful singer. And Aaron Neville has this beautiful, soulful voice. And I, I love soul music as, as well as big bands and, yeah. and country. There's not much music I don't like, <laughs> except punk. Um, <laughs> so there we are. But uh, I just think this is a wonderful record. It's very moving and it's beautifully sung and beautifully performed. So here it is, uh, Don't Know Much by Linda Ronstadt and Aaron Neville from 1989. That may be all I need to know Look at these eyes They've never seen what matters That must be one of the most romantic records oh, ever made. Isn't it beautiful? And it's so sad when you read about her now. Yes. Because I think she's got Parkinson's and one of the side effects is, is that she can't sing. Pity, but, uh, but she made some great records. So we're here again. She comes back into my choice later does. on. She does. Yeah. In 1985, you were appointed to the position of controller of Radio One. Were you given a brief when you went in, or did you go in and have your own plans and your own agenda? Oh, I had very much my own plans for what I should do with and what I wanted to do. I mean, I never dreamt when I first joined the the BBC that I would finish up in charge. But I mean, that's the beauty of an organisation like the BBC, as it was organised then. You could apply for any job in, in the corporation. All the jobs were advertised internally. Yeah. And you could convince the selection board that you had the right aptitude and the, and the right knowledge. You know, you, you could get the job. And that was how I worked up from being a, a studio manager, balancing sound en engineers and what have you, and, and then to being a producer, a senior producer, then executive, and then head of the department. And eventually, as you say, they, they put me in charge of it which was just uh, wonderful. long time before that, when I'd just been made executive producer back in, uh, where was it, 1991, uh, 90, I think it was. The boss called me. In 19, I'll get it right in a minute. Right. 1971, he said, look, we, we bought the Elvis Presley story from a company called Watermark in America, and we hear rumours these people are going to make the Beatles story, and we can't possibly have an American company making the Beatles story. So would you like to take charge of the project? And I said, my God, you just made me executive producer. Now I've got to do this on top of it. <laughs> I spent a year researching the whole history of the Beatles and their friends and acquaintances and recordings yeah. that they'd done all over the world. And I traveled the world and eventually made and produced a 13-hour documentary series about them, which was repeated a year later. And it was then 14 episodes because, we, you know, things had changed yeah. and had gone on. What year did that so go out? That went out in 1971, I started oh. it. The first broadcast was the 21st of May, 1972. That was when we broadcast the first episode of the, of the, of the, of the 13. So I, I picked a track here from Sergeant Pepper because I think, although I said Graceland was my all-time favourite, I think my second favourite was Sergeant Pepper, and I thought on it, that was such an inventive production that George Martin did, and, and the way the songs were written, and the different styles within the thing, that uh, this was just one of the best day in the life. And and I one of the things I love about this song is that when people debate 
whether Ringo Starr was any good as a drummer, I, I refer them to this track because I think the drumming on it is stunning. Valentine's Day, Friday morning, Headley on Thames. I found a wireless chum of mine. We're in a flower shop here, Blossoms, and we're going to be doing some stuff in a moment. Some stuff will be on the air, but I won't say who I am. Morning. Morning, right? You recognize my friend right here, have you? Yes. Morning, Out in how his, are you? In his early morning cap and tie. This is very early. It's very nice to have you down here in my little hometown. Do you know I can... Welcome. Thank you very much. It's heartwarming to see you here, especially on Valentine's Day. You know, I can see you when you're about 80. I've got this mental picture <laughs> of you. What? In, in the old cap and the waistcoat like you're wearing Hello, now. Oh, boy, do you remember the <laughs> old days <laughs> when we used to be on a wireless? You're wearing the clothes. What do you got? that has grown into them gradually over the years. I know. Well, I'm a country squire down here. I know When you I are. get into London, I'm a street dude. And much respected <laughs> in the town, I might add. Well, not really, no. I've been mentioning your name to people. Have you? You're so much For me, Johnny, the... 80s and early 90s was was a golden era of Radio 1. It sounded fun. Everyone broadcasting sounded like they were having a ball. And so much so, I remember listening to Simon Bates, who was my broadcasting hero. And on occasions, Steve Wright would be hanging around in the background and they'd be sharing a laugh. And it seemed a very happy place to work. Did you encourage that from the top or did it come from the team that you had around you? Well, I think I, I did encourage it from the top. And I think that was one of the secrets of the Radio 1 Roadshow, which I started. You know, the idea was that... Everybody travelled as a team. It was a bit like Cliff Richard's summer holiday, but we were doing it for real for a week. Yeah. Each DJ would, would do one week, and we tried to get around the whole coastline of the UK in six weeks. And it was great for team bonding, you know, because the secretaries, the producers, everybody would travel together. We'd do the broadcast, and then in the evenings we'd celebrate perhaps with a barbecue on the beach if the weather was nice or play games in the nearby pub. And it was just wonderful, happy atmosphere. And I don't think radio will ever get back to those size of audiences because there are so many different sources of music these days. Yeah. You're listening to another edition of Radio Glamorgan's Music Was My First Love with Johnny Beelin choosing ten of his favourite tracks. We'll be back with Johnny's sixth choice after this. Radio One Road Broadcasting from the John Wills Studio at the University Hospital of Wales in Cardiff, we are Radio Glamorgan. Have you seen Elton on his uh, tour? I've seen, the, I've seen the film recently, but I just wanted to tell you, and you're probably playing these off computer, but in the old days we had little pieces of plastic. Yeah. For vinyl and if you look on it closely it says with love to bjk written on the oh. on the on the actual record sleeve so there we are Lovely. nice one you you mentioned briefly about the road shows where where did the idea come from was it about getting out to meet the people it came from me we used to do a thing before radio one road show we did a thing called the radio one club which developed out of the old pop-in program where we used to do a, a program in the Paris studio in Lower Regent Street in London, and guests would pop in and Keith Fordyce was the compare. And I expanded that into Radio 1 Club, where by the miracle of radio we could link up, say, Birmingham and Cardiff and London at the same time, and we'd have live bands playing. And the idea was if you had a membership card, you would get into any of the venues where we did these. And it was so successful that people, well, we had to take it off the air because there were so many complaints from headmasters about kids playing truant. <laughs> and, like 
So then I thought, what can we replace that with? And I was on a camping holiday with my own children down in France, and I saw this, I think it was Radio Monte Carlo or Radio Luxembourg. They had this sort of open-air show with a pantechnican with a side that opened, and it was sort of cross between Sunday night at the London Palladium and the disco, and uh, they all the campers took their little aluminium chairs and sat there and the show was recorded and put out and I thought what if I could take that back to England an idea like that and travel it around the seaside resorts of the UK because the Radio 1 DJs were hugely popular but they weren't seen that much apart from appearances on top of the pops and so such was their popularity that when we started this I mean basically it was a man playing records in a box on the beach but it was hugely popular you know and after the first year it took off and we estimated that at its peak, it started in 1973, but it went on for 27 years. And at its peak, we were getting something like half a million people attending it, you know, during the course of the summer. So popular. Where did you find Smiley Marty from? Well, it's an interesting story. When I wanted to start the Radio 1 Roadshow, the BBC didn't have an appropriate vehicle. And one of our producers, a man called Brian Patton, who worked out at Bristol, said, look, there's an agent down here, manages Hatch Cutler and the Wurzels, and I think he's got the sort of van you want. So I went down to see this man, John Miles, and John said, well, that sounds like a good ideal, because he was a good old... <laughs> yes, he was. <laughs> he had a brother called Tony who worked in the car bodybuilding business. He said, I'll get my brother Tony to make one. <laughs> and he made this sort of caravan and towed it with a Range Rover. And the, the, the stage folded up into bits and pieces, which packed in the back. And off we went. Well, that was so successful that after a couple of years, Tony emerged as somewhat of an extrovert and said, could I have a license whereby we sell Radio 1 merchandise, pay a royalty to the BBC for this? And so Smiley Miley emerged from cast of characters. Of course, that in, enlarged the whole team even, even more. And yeah. He was marvellous, and without him, it would never have been the success it was. Tell me about your next choice, Roy Orbison and Pretty Woman. Well, that's interesting, because Pretty Woman, this goes back to my days in the old light programme, 1964, it was a big hit. But uh, Roy Orbison, about this time, in, in the early 60s, started working with a man called Bill Dees, who was a country singer and a songwriter. And they were chatting in the office one day when Roy's wife, came along and she said, I'm, I'm going into Nashville to do some shopping. And Roy said, have you got enough money? And Bill D said, pretty woman doesn't need any money. And that sort of figure stuck with Roy and he used it as the basis for writing that particular song. Great track, really, really great track. Can I ask, jump ahead a little bit after the Radio 1 days, how did you get involved with Noel Edmonds and Unique Productions? I was asked to do by the BBC a programme or a big project they had called Music Live 95 in Birmingham. And I said, I need an infrastructure of people to help me with this because the idea was to demonstrate the breadth of music across the BBC uh, various networks, radios 1, 2, 3 and 4. And so we devised this show in Birmingham, which would showcase all kinds of different music. For instance, we had the top 10 hymns for Radio 4. For Radio 2, we had a thing called the Best Buskers Competition, where we invited buskers from all over the country to come and play in the streets of Birmingham. We did a big country music show. We did the music of Andrew Lloyd Webber. We did uh, oh, just so much different, different music. 
but to, to do this, I needed a support company. And I went to Unique because it was run by my friend Tim Blackmore. And they had a company called Unique Special Projects, which was for staging events. So I became chairman of that. And that's really how I started to get involved with them. I then went back to being a studio manager for them and did something understood with Mark Tully in Delhi and uh, put all those together, which was also a great deal of fun. Your next choice on Music Was My First Love is oh, a trio made in heaven. Dolly Parton, Linda Ronstadt and Amy Lou Harris. What can you tell me about Do I Ever Cross Your Mind? Well, they made they made two uh, trio albums with the three of them. As you say, wonderful singers. I, I love Dolly Parton. Again, she's my favourite country singer. And from Trio 2, this particular one comes. It's very good close harmony work as you'll hear as they sing Do I Ever Cross Your Mind. And the flowers still grow but they don't smell sweet as they did when you picked them for me. Hello and welcome to Radio 4 and a program of sumptuous wit and amusingly light-hearted bantering chat by a chap who needs no introduction and suddenly carries it off with an air of delightfully intimate fun and good taste. And, of course, we do mean Kenneth Robinson, who's sitting in a corner of the studio in London, just dying to introduce a flood of fabulousness under the title, If It's Wednesday, It Must Be. Johnny, you, you worked with Kenny Everett, who was a real pioneer, I think, paving the way for the likes of Noel Edmonds, Steve Wright, DLT, Adrian Just. What was he like working with? I presume he was like nothing before or since. Well, I think he is absolutely the best disc jockey ever to be employed by the BBC or any radio station for that matter. He was so creative. You just heard that harmony that he was doing there on that little jingle that you played in. He was so creative, you know, and actually quite a quiet person. Going back to the Sergeant Pepper LP, he did a very, very good interview with John Lennon and all the Beatles about it, and we showcased that on my Saturday afternoon programme where it's at. But Kenny was, was just wonderful. He was a delight to work with. He was modest. You know, I, in fact, the television personality wasn't really the real man. I, I've always said that the best broadcasters are those whose natural personality comes through on the, on the microphone. Yeah. So that what you see is what they are for real. And that's true of Terry Wogan, Jimmy Young, Tony Blackburn, Noel Edmonds, any of them. So Kenny was just wonderful. And I, I can't sing his praises enough. He did all the promotional jingles for the start of Radio 1. He was responsible, really, for persuading Robin Scott. Robin Scott and I went to lunch with Kenny, and Kenny said, if you want this new look, Radio 1, to sound anything like Radio 1, you have to go to this Dallas company, Pam's, and, and get the jingles made there, which we did. And uh, eventually Pam went, Pam's went out of business and Jam took over, but John had been an engineer working with Bill Meeks in Pam's, so he knew exactly what was wanted. And that was a very good partnership. It lasted that Jam and, and myself, we worked together for 17 years making the jingles for Radio 1, which was all part of its, its great success. Yeah. Sing praises enough of, of Kenny Everett. I remember as a kid, you know, when, when Steve Wright came along, you would say, oh, he's the new Noel Edmonds. Without Noel Edmonds, you wouldn't have Steve Wright. But as I said, you wouldn't have had that form of broadcasting without Kenny Everett, would you? No, and you, and you don't hear that anywhere now on independent radio no. or BBC for that matter, which is... A great pity. 
your penultimate track, and I've been looking forward to this because I'm a big, big Van Morrison fan, on this edition of music with my first love, is from Messrs. Jones, Morrison and Beck. And over the years, I've only been able to find this on YouTube and the Sam Cooke classic. Tell me about this version and bring it on home oh, to me. It's, it's appropriate, isn't it, to have Tom Jones on, on, on Radio Glamour? Yes, it is. It's wonderful. But, I mean, Tom is just brilliant. He's sold over 150 million albums. His career's lasted 56 years. He's now 79. He's still going strong. And I think this particular combination, I mean, he can sing country music, he can sing ballads, he can sing blues. This just epitomizes the best of everything the man can do, especially when he's duetting with Van Morrison and supported by Jeff Beck. It's absolutely brilliant. And I, I can't sing its praises enough. So let's hear it. Bring it on Isn't that brilliant? Just sums up all that's best about Tom Jones, doesn't it? I mean, he's been so versatile, he's changed. Yeah. I mean, his son Mark now manages him after the death of his manager, Gordon Mills. And uh, Mark kept him in, in on trend with what was going on. I mean, the more recent albums, like the Praise and Blame one that he did, on there there's still fantastic things on it. I mean, he made one song called Strange Things Are Happening Every Day and he's still got a great rocking feel about it. Is there a studio version of that, the three of them doing that track, do you know? Yes, there is. I took it off a CD. Tell me about your final choice from Sarah Brightman and Andre Bucelli. Well, this is totally different. This is a very moving record for me. One of the best cruises I ever did was in 2011. I flew to Rio and we're right down the east coast of South America, going to the Falklands for the first time, and then going round into the Chile, Chilean fields. And whilst we were there, the captain took the ship in, and we saw this glacier in front of us, and he sent the rescue bit over to chip over some of this uh, 10 million year old ice, and brought it back on the ship, and served it up to the guests with... 10-year-old malt whiskey and put the combination of the two was just wonderful over the ship's pa they played this record uh, now's the time to say goodbye by as you say sarah brightman and andrew and Pacelli. and i was just moved to tears maybe it was the whiskey or maybe it was just the <laughs> i'd like to it think was it was absolutely a, wonderful i can tell you I'd like to think it was a combination before we hear it johnny you've had a full and very successful career so much more we could have talked about your work on the cruise ships your involvement with live aid but as you look back at the time you've spent in broadcasting what are you most proud of but the Radio 1 Roadshow has to be one because it lasted for 27 years and it was hugely successful. And I suppose, secondly, Live Aid itself, which you just mentioned, the fact that we did the sound for the world on that, which was, I still think, probably the biggest of those charity concerts that were right. ever done. And it was a huge logistical problem to put it together. We'd had a dummy run the year before when we did the summer of 84 with Elton John and John Reed, which was also in Wembley Stadium. So it was a, a triumph, really, of logistics, and it was incredibly difficult to do, to, to have all those live bands playing. You can imagine the job for the sound engineers trying to mix the sound from all of those sources, but they did. I mean, there was only one small hiccup, which we might, if we've got time, yeah, go just tell the listeners about, and this was when the final number was to be yeah. Paul McCartney singing Let It Be, and he starts to play the piano introduction, and the piano introduction went on and on and Funny enough, that one microphone on Paul McCartney wasn't working. And so for the first minute and a half, there was sort of just the, just the piano playing. 
And as Bob said, if you're going to have a cock-up, it might as well be in front of 10 billion people. But the nice thing was that my producer, Jeff Griffin, had recorded the program on multitrack, and Paul McCartney went back in the studio and laid in the missing vocal afterwards. So if you buy the DVD I've now... i DVD. I, I didn't realise that. I thought it was not just... not hear that mistake. It's all been covered up. Oh, wow, because I just presumed that that was from a different mic. No. He went in and read it off. Wonderful. I didn't know that. He dubbed it in, so that was nice of him. It's been a lovely reminiscing with you. Johnny Beeling, thank you so much. Absolute pleasure to talk with you and listen to your song choices, and thank you for being so generous with your time. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for asking me. Time to say listening to another edition of Music Was My First Love where Johnny Beeling, former controller of Radio 1, has been choosing ten of his favourite tracks. I'm Andrew Wolfe and join me again soon when I'll be joined by someone else choosing ten of their favourite tracks on another edition of Music Was My First Love. <laughs>